Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you allowed your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to become fully human and come into the world to destroy the tyranny of the devil. Deliver us poor offenders from sin and death and give us eternal life. Rule and govern our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that we may seek no other refuge than his word and avoid all offense, that we may always be found among the faithful followers of your Son and by faith in him obtain eternal salvation. Through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 10. Therefore, when he entered the world, Christ said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but you prepared a body for me. You were not pleased with burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, Here I am. I have come to do your will, God. In the scroll of the book it is written about me. First, he said, Sacrifices and offerings that were offered according to the law, both burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, and you were not pleased with them. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, lawyers and bankers call them trust babies. It goes something like, Grandpa had a great invention, built up a large successful business, and now the grandkids, if someone else runs the business, receive a monthly check, a percentage of the profits. And many of them, well, they're spoiled. They don't understand the hard work that went in. Many of them don't even understand what it is like to give an honest day's labor for an honest day's wages. They're trust babies. They're just used to being spoiled. And in many aspects, you and I are trust babies when it comes to the liturgy, to the worship of the Lord. Thousands of years of Christian history has hammered out a beautiful heritage in which we, in line with the word of God, worship the Lord. But it wasn't the case for the early Christians. If we put ourselves in the feet of Jewish Christians who had just converted, imagine what had been taken from them. Because all those books out of the Old Testament, many people say, Pastor, those are so boring. Why do we even study those? All of those established laws of worship and ceremonies and special holy days, they were meant to point to the coming of the Lord. And suddenly, when those believers knew the Lord had come, those things, they were gone. In fact, they started gathering in the synagogues where they had worshipped the Lord as Jews, and they got kicked out. We're told in the book of Acts that the early Christians in Jerusalem gathered together at the temple every day to tell everybody, and they got kicked out. And that's sad because that temple was meant to point to Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, they began to scratch their heads and say, what do we do? Imagine if suddenly Christmas, the big celebration of Christmas or Easter were taken from you. That was the day of atonement. That was the Passover. And so the epistle to the Hebrews is written to straighten those things out. And we find ourselves this morning celebrating Mary, who is pregnant with the Lord. The Lord has taken on human flesh and he's in her womb, visiting the mother of the one who's going to prepare the way for the Lord. Elizabeth be giving birth to John the Baptist. Today, our last Sunday of Advent, we know Advent means coming. We see that Advent means the coming of Christ's death and resurrection. 
And so it is, brothers and sisters in Christ. I told you that temple was meant to represent the coming of our Lord. And yet, how did that temple service begin? Every morning, as the gates were opened, a lamb was sacrificed to atone for the sins of Israel. Every priest who would take sacrifices for the people throughout the day had to be sprinkled with blood first to cleanse themselves. And then the people came with one bloody sacrifice for sin after the other. Some of the offerings were thank offerings, but it was bloody. And then at the end of the day, right before they closed the temple gates, one more sacrifice of a lamb was made to atone for all the sins of Israel. Blood and sacrifice constantly driving home the point. The wages of sin is death. You've sinned again. You deserve death. But that blood sprinkled on you would tell you that your sins had been forgiven. And, and yet, brothers and sisters in Christ, imagine. See, we often think of sin as robbing a bank or murdering somebody. Imagine what a struggle it is for our sinful nature just to hear the word of God. Imagine when you realize anxiety is a sin because we're not trusting in God. Anger is a sin because we're hating in our heart. Grumbling about having to come and hear the word is a sin because we're not rejoicing in the life-saving water. When you realize that suddenly, you've got a guilty conscience. And imagine how nice it would be to go and offer another sacrifice and feel the blood sprinkled on you and be assured your sins are forgiven. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're trust babies. I'm a trust baby. I never appreciated that over thousands of years of history, the Christian church had hammered out to begin the service reminding us the God we worship, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We begin in His name, and then we immediately launch into a confession and absolution of sin. All the sins you've been committed are removed. And all those sacrifices were meant to point to Jesus Christ. And our text tells us, Therefore, when he entered the world, Christ said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but you prepared a body for me. You were not pleased with burnt offering and sin offerings. And there it is. Now, in certain aspects, the people of Israel often, they were supposed to bring the best animal forward for their sins. But they, well, I've sinned. I've got to get God off my back. And this one, uh, he fell into a hole and he's got a broken leg. Let's get him up to the temple and get God off my back. God was certainly not pleased with that. But all those animals, they did not remove the sin of the person. No, they pointed ahead to something else that would. When Christ came into the world, his very coming proclaims this message that is a quote of King David in Psalm 40. Those offerings didn't do it. If they did, God would not have had to take on human flesh. They were a foreshadow of the sacrifice that would come. And so we're told in verse 8, as he comments on Psalm 40, first he said, sacrifices and offerings that were offered according to the law, both burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire and you were not pleased with them. Then he said, here I am, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. All those were meant to point to Christ. And even the ones, not, not the ones that were done, you know, I've got that lousy lamb with a broken leg, I'll bring that one in. i got that lousy bull that he's going to die of disease. I'm lucky if I can get him up to Jerusalem. He's not talking about those. He's talking about the ones that God prescribed. 
When you read Leviticus, and believe me, it can seem like boring reading, finding out all these sins and everything you're supposed to give, whether you're poor or rich and everything, all those given in accordance with the law, they still didn't do away with sin. No, they were meant to point ahead. They pointed ahead so that when John the Baptist came and he saw Jesus walking by, he could say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the Israelites would think of that lamb at the beginning and at the end. They would think of the animals they brought for their sacrifice. Here is the one they pointed to. Because he's true man, he can die. Because he's true God, his death will pay for every one of my rotten, miserable sins I'm going to commit in my life and every one you're going to commit in your life. He could hang on the cross as true God and in three hours' time suffer an eternity in hell for you and I and get it done and rise victorious. So, he does away with the first. If you were a New Testament believer in those early days, you would miss the pomp of the priest and all of his robes. But you know, that priest, once a year on the Day of Atonement, he had to cleanse himself as he did every day. But he had, he had to, then he would take that one animal and he'd sprinkle it on the mercy seat. That was the top of the ark, which was the center of the temple. And before that, he would put the sins of Israel on a scapegoat and they'd chase it out of town. And those two animals, they didn't remove the sin either, but they were like Christmas for the Israelites because they pointed to the one who would remove the sins of the world. There's now only one sin that damns us, and that is unbelief. And notice he says he does away with the first. In the first covenant, which was pointing to the coming of the Lord, you had to bring an animal. You had to cut its throat. The priest took the stuff and put it on the altar for you and he sprinkled the blood on you. But what do you do in the covenant of the good news of forgiveness in Christ? You passively receive it. The gospel makes one demand. It demands that you believe that Jesus died for your sins. And it fulfills that demand because the Holy Spirit works through that message to enter your heart and give you faith. We're trust babies. We go through and say the confession and absolution of sin at the beginning of the service. And sometimes we just go through the motions. That too can be a sin. But it never ceases to amaze me as a pastor every now and then when one of you says, you know, pastor, I came in the door to church grumbling because of this, this and that. And I got in the worship and I thought, what a rotten sinner I am and how awesome it was to hear as I gathered to worship my Lord, my sins are forgiven. That's made possible because God took on human flesh. Advent is the coming of Christ's death and resurrection. He took on flesh to die for us. His sacrifice abolishes all sin offerings. It is your forgiveness. And remember that, brothers and sisters in Christ, because all those Old Testament ceremonial laws of worship and everything, they were meant to point to Christ. So when somebody tells you, if you're going to say this is holy or that, and they jump to the Old Testament and say, you still need to do this, this, and that then, all those were meant to point to Christ. And they have been fulfilled and they've been abolished. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, there's still a sacrifice you and I give. But it's not a sacrifice that's given to remove our sin. No. It's a sacrifice that we often don't even realize we're giving. It's built into our hearts. You're sacrificing your time right now to hear the word of the Lord. We sacrifice by giving offerings, but not because we have to to be saved. We do it out of thanks. God's built it into our new man. So let's go back to the beginning of our text. Verse 5, we're told, Therefore, when he entered the world, Christ said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but you prepared a body for me. You were not pleased with burnt offerings and sin offerings. 
Psalm 40 literally says you furrowed out my ears. And it gets retranslated as you prepared a body because in order to receive the forgiveness of sins, you have to have ears that hear. And to have ears that hear, God has to put a new man in you and the Holy Spirit does that. God prepared a body for Christ, not just by knitting a physical body in the womb of the virgin, but everybody, starting at Adam and Eve, who looked forward to the coming of the Savior, who trusted in Him for the forgiveness of sins, they're part of what the Apostle Paul points out in Corinthians chapter 12 as the body of Christ, the invisible church of all believers. And God has given a new man to you, and you're part of that body, and you're united to Christ's body as a branch is to the vine, so He's opened up your ears by giving you faith so that you are not condemned. You are saved. So verse 7, he said, Then I said, Here I am. I've come to do your will, God. In the scroll of the book, it's written about me. I've already mentioned when we have anxiety, when we have anger, all these little things we don't even think about that they're sins against God. And if that were the end of the story, we'd be damned. But Christ came to not have anxiety in your place, to not have anger, to not have stress. To not struggle with the sins of the flesh. To not struggle with worrying about money and these things. And he did all that for you. And he's credited you with his perfect obedience. But when he gave you that new man, that new man doesn't sin. Your sinful nature does. You're, you've got a split personality. And when we struggle against our sin, that is a sacrifice we give. Not in order to be saved, but because we are the body of Christ. And so verse 10 says, By this will... We have been sanctified once for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Now you often hear me say we have to pay attention to the prepositions in the inspired Greek language. And the preposition, by this will, is that Greek preposition hen, which really means only by this. It's only within these boundaries. It's not you and me bringing sacrifices. It's not you and me pretending to be good enough Christians. You and I have been sanctified by God's will. It's called predestination. He planned it for you. And He has sanctified you. And that, that word means to be set apart as holy. Now, that comes through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. It's, it, it's His death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit entering your heart. Lots of times, translators, they, they put that through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's an adverb. It's at the end. But there's only one verb in that sentence. And it's sanctified. It's really a comfort. Now, Christ did die once for all, and that's clear in the context as well. But what he's saying is we've been sanctified once for all. You have been set apart as holy once for all time. That's a comfort, brothers and sisters in Christ, because in the early Christian church, there were people who argued that if you fell into a great sin, like if the Roman government came and were persecuting you, all you had to do was offer a pinch of incense to Caesar and turn over the scriptures and pray to him, you were off the hook. And they said, if you did that, you had betrayed the body of Christ and you could never be forgiven, you were going to hell. No. If you fall from the faith, you don't need to be rebaptized. When you come back to faith, it's because the Holy Spirit has entered your heart. God has set you apart. I've met people who were baptized as children, grew up in, in a Christian family, and then fell away. And in their old age, come back to the faith. Because they've been set apart as holy. Brothers and sisters in Christ, 
It's amazing to hear that. But because we are set apart as holy, it means we do have that new man and we do come to hear the word while the sinful nature struggles against it. What I'm getting at here is we give our sacrifices not for sin. Our lives lived in love for God is a sacrifice he's built into our heart because we are saved. And therefore, Christ's sacrifice has sanctified you once for all time, set you apart for holy purposes. His death means your eternal life. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are trust babies. We often don't realize a lot of the things we do in, the new, in our liturgy, which is not prescribed by the will of God, but drawn out of it. We often don't realize or we go through the motions and we often forget all that stuff in the Old Testament and see it as boring because we're trust babies. But all those things pointed to the coming of Christ. And today we see Advent is the coming of Christ, death and resurrection. His sacrifice abolishes all sin offerings and his sacrifice has sanctified you once and for all time. Amen. And now the Lord lets you, his servants, depart in peace according to his word. For your eyes have seen God's salvation, which he prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to his people Israel. Amen.